Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. On today's episode, my good friends Angela Fapierre and Rachel Melanta join me to discuss everything from murdering spiders to Bo Burnham's new comedy special. My name is Justin Hamilton and I'm wrapped to have your attention here on Big Squid. Welcome to today's show. Uh, Before we launch into it, a couple of quick things to touch base with. First, I physically hit the wall on the weekend and listening back to my chat with Rachel, I feel like you can hear it in my voice. Maybe you can hear it now. I apologize up front. It's been a full-on time, and last week was uh, just a lot going on. I managed to get home to Adelaide for my mum's birthday. Uh, she bought uh, <laughs> she bought a new TV, and uh, when it was delivered, uh, she looked at it and she was like, "Oh, this is much bigger than I expected." And I was like, "What is going on with this TV?" And she said, oh, I think it's only meant to be 20 centimetres bigger than my last one. But I reckon it was 20 inches bigger. And now mum has the equivalent of her own little IMAX cinema. <laughs> and anyway, so I put that together. Long story, maybe a story for another time. But anyway, uh, sorted all that out, did some stuff around the house, took her out for lunch. Did the mum thing as you do and then uh, came back and was straight into work. And so when I was speaking to Rachel, we recorded early Sunday morning and once I was done, I felt physically so awful. I went back to bed and it is now 36 hours later and I still feel blah. There's nothing I can do about it. This is what happens when lots of projects all come to fruition at once. So you just have to write it out. So... I just want to apologise if I sound worn out. I feel worn out. 
it's good to be worn out. It means I'm busy, but normally I'm better at hiding it. So hopefully that doesn't uh, detract from the chat because it's a really interesting chat as well. And Rachel has been in Canada this whole time with COVID and it is a real reminder of, you know, how lucky, you know, I won't say for everyone, I'll just speak for me, how lucky I've been living in Sydney and uh, having an opportunity to still live a relatively normal life. So uh, that's a good chat with Rachel. Uh, Basically, it's about uh, the Bo Burnham special. So that's actually what it's about. But there's some insights into what's going on with Rachel. And Angie's fantastic. You know, she is a new friend. She's in fine form for this podcast so anyway i think you'll enjoy it uh just secondly if you're a part of our private page uh over on facebook the big squid private page i've put something there for a little while just a little while that you can check out i'll take it down soon but if you haven't been there for a while or you've been thinking of joining then get onto it soon so you can take advantage of a little treat i've left there I'll leave it at that. It's late on a Monday while I'm recording this, so let's get into it, starting with Rachel, who taught me into watching the Bo Burnham special. You know what? Why am I getting ahead of myself? Let's just bring her in and you can hear for yourself. You sent me a text message talking about what you wanted to talk about, and it was funny because... Things have just been kind of a bit manic here for, you know, what I'm kind of doing at the moment. It's just juggling a lot of stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, so what do you want to watch instead? And then I was like, ah, oh, I just really can't be asked watching comedy because it's like I'm always working in it. So in my time off, I <laughs> really don't want to watch it. I'm just at that point of my life now after consuming it for so long. But you were like, no, 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 you've got to watch it. And I was like, okay, so I did. And I'm glad that you made me watch it because I thought Bo Burnham's special was pretty fantastic. I loved it. I thought it was an absolute masterpiece. It was something that I um, I typically don't run to like stand-up specials per yeah. se. And um I watched it because everyone, like my friends at Second City and that were raving about it. So I watched it and I've watched it twice now because I wanted to talk to you about it. Right. And I do my research, Justin. Right. <laughs> well, that's a part of the, the, the skill at uh, doing podcasts is make sure that when you have to do research, you're doing research on stuff that you enjoy. Yeah, this is my favourite podcast I've ever done because you just let me talk about what I want to talk about. It makes it easier to research. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, It's a pretty remarkable uh, piece of work and it feels like it's caught the Zeke guys probably probably the most since and, – and I have to use the caveat that I don't watch a lot of stuff, but it feels like it's caught the Zeke guys the most since Nanette – well, that was the first thing I thought, like this concept of sad comedy and that, and it made me think of Hannah Gadsby. Obviously, it is different, yeah. and I'm always very wary of um, relating something like Hannah Gadsby, which was a very personal experience of something like sexual assault to anything. Mm. But I, um, I do think that they are comparable in that, in that ability to set it up as comedy almost. And there are definitely funny moments within both. Um, oh, they're both really funny. 
Exactly. Um, while also giving a very, very serious um, message mm. and being like, I read somewhere someone referred to Bo Burnham's Inside as um, just an hour of watching the deterioration of a man and you couldn't look away. And I was like, that's actually kind of true. Um, I, I thought it was incredible. And I mean, um, having been in lockdown myself for well over a year now, um, I mean, that certainly wasn't my exact experience. I've been lucky enough to not be stuck exclusively in one room. And also I can't sing. But (laughs) other than that, um, I definitely related heavily to a huge amount of um, his special. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like he's, what, 18 years younger than me. And Mm. uh, I I could relate to it. And just Mm. uh, certain aspects of it. There was some pretty dark themes and... You know, sometimes, you know, down in the Melbourne Comedy Festival, sometimes you can read reviews of shows that are brilliantly reviewed and then you go and see it and you... It, this isn't really a criticism, but you don't really laugh. You know, it's it's yeah. more leaning into the serious. And I'm, I, I think it's all comedy. It doesn't matter if there's four jokes or 400. It's all, it's yeah. all comedy in the way that it's presented. And... What I really enjoyed about this was that it was it was kind of self knowing, but it never uh, kind of strayed into being uh, pretentious. Even though he calls himself out for that at certain times, yeah, it it never went into even. I found even as we saw him like so vulnerable and laid bare, um, there was no point where I felt we were pitying him. Mm. He wasn't requesting our pity mm. that um, he, we were always aware because he called it out of the power dynamic mm. and that sort of thing. It wasn't arrogant, but it also wasn't woe is me. Mm. It was very, um, I felt it was, it forced you to kind of, as an audience, be uncomfortable. You were supposed to be uncomfortable at certain periods. And there were some times in it where it was difficult to watch, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I, I never felt uh, uncomfortable watching it. That's uh, But really? I, I don't think what you're saying is incorrect. I'm sure lots of people would be feeling that. I just kind of – I think because also it feels like he never forgets the audience has to be entertained – and so mm. it's like he never strays too far away from that basic tenet before coming back. Of course. Yeah, and I think he says as himself at the start of the special that he hopes that the special can do for the audience what it did for him, which, I mean, obviously it was made for an audience. It's on Netflix and he's a comedian. Mm. But um, it felt far more like it was the thing that got him out of bed every day in over a year of lockdown. It felt a lot more than that. And I think what what I say, it was uncomfortable to watch at times. For me, it felt too familiar in a weird way. Like, I mean, throughout the last 16 months of lockdown in Toronto, it has been, I have had only too many days where I couldn't get myself out of bed. Mm. It has been rough. And without, like, even being too dramatic, the hardest thing I've been through in a lot of ways. Like, my mental health has suffered, as has everybody's. And I say that as someone who has been lucky enough to have income this entire time, Mm. lucky enough to be able to get out the house even when we weren't allowed to because I've had to go to a job. I have friends who have not worked one day since March last year, and they have been just isolated. And I've watched their mental health deteriorate in major ways, and it's – I I think at times – Particular things for me were when there would be cuts to 
the next day. Mm. And I think anyone who's gone through a mental health episode knows that there's always the next morning Mm. and the day just keeps, and that really stark, you're almost embarrassed, but you're not because you know it's like that horrible quiet of the next morning. And the way that he showed that throughout the special, I've never seen before so accurately. And so like the vulnerability of that was really intense, I guess. And yeah, I, I, it was uncomfortable, but I think it was brilliant. Yeah. I'd love to know how long he spent uh, studying for some of those shots that lasted a few seconds because he obviously (laughs) spent a lot of time, you know, getting the composition of photos and uh, camera angles ready. And, uh, you know, you see little bits and pieces of him playing around with his instruments and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, yeah, I reckon some of those shots were probably a week in the making. And that's why they look so perfect as well. Oh, very much so. And also just like on a funnier note, like the idea of the white woman's Instagram. He spent a lot of time looking at white women's Instagrams for that. Like there is too much detail in that. Um, That was very, very specific. Like I would not be able to list off that many tropes of these things. He definitely did his research. Um, Did you tick any of the boxes for that? Oh, a little bit. Um, I definitely, I, I definitely don't post things like golden retrievers, but (laughs) I, I've definitely been guilty of posting like my cute breakfast, right? With that question, right? Which is also (laughs) nothing wrong with that. There's not not nothing wrong with that. No, it's fine. Like you're allowed to do that, but it's just funny that it's a bit self indulgent, is it? I don't know. Justin needs to know what I ate for breakfast. Aren't aren't all photos in some form self-indulgent? Well, isn't comedy self-indulgent? Well, that's what I mean. So you can can post the photos. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just funny that lots of people do it. And that it's a tr- yeah. and that it's a trope. It was uh, I, I, actually I, I go back. Uh, that was the one time that I did wonder if I was going to, you know, be uncomfortable because because I was recognizing in that song specifically uh, lots of things. Like I, there was one friend in particular that I reckon would tick just about every box in that song and oh definitely i've definitely know women yeah. like um who do that which is amazing yeah but yeah my friends are really cool friends but it's like <laughs> oh no this is i don't know if she can watch this i'm definitely i'm definitely guilty of a fair few i think it's um very specific but i don't think it was um that song in particular i've actually seen some people calling it misogynistic oh. and i certainly didn't find it that way um i personally thought it was not really about white women at all. I think it was far more about like social media and the tropes we put into the world and the fact that everyone copies each other. I don't think it was, I think it was a little bit deeper than that. (laughs) You know, I don't think it was really calling anyone out or insulting anybody. No, it it was pointing out something that is a fact that, there's yes. all these people that do the same thing over and over again. No, you're right. It's it's calling out yes. the social media event. But, you know, yeah. people are going to – it's probably people who can relate to that who are going to call mm. it out. Oh, definitely. And I think there will be songs all throughout that people take issue with, but I don't think he's afraid of that. Like, 
there were a lot of parts of it where he's being very, very blatant in his opinion. Mm. Um, and I mean, as someone who is very left leaning politically, I agree with everything he said, mm. but I'm sure there are plenty of people who do not. Yeah. Um, so I don't think he is. But then again, I guess Bo Burnham has always been very political in a lot of ways in his comedy. Like this isn't the first time he has called a lot of things out mm. in his songs. Yeah. But this just felt the most raw. Um, and I really appreciated, like, without giving too much away about the special and how it ends, um, the internal battle of dealing with what comes next after COVID, yeah. I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Well, you were saying just before we started recording, you're starting to have some social anxiety. Oh, my God. And that's something like I'm somebody who's always been a very anxious person, but I'm also I wouldn't I would not call myself particularly socially anxious. And I mean, we've been in lockdown 16 months here and I'm definitely socially anxious. I have a huge amount of anxiety about reopening, Mm. huge amount. But and it's very shared. I think everyone around here does. And now I'm as of two days ago, fully vaccinated, which does take Honestly, not as much of an edge off as you'd think. Right. <laughs> like there's a part of me that thinks I definitely thought when I'd get fully vaccinated, I'd be like, nailed it. I'm great. Let's start hugging. Right. I don't No, not at all. I am very, um, yeah, I think there's definite social anxiety, but there's also a lot of um, just in general, it's been an extremely kind of traumatic experience. Yeah. The whole thing has been awful. Yeah. It's, and Yeah, I say that, as I said, I'm very, very aware of how lucky I have been in this, in that having a job in that, but I can't imagine what it's like for people who haven't. Yeah. Um, This has been a very, very long time. And quite frankly, it looks like we've got a few months ahead of us. I think we will not be even allowed to have any form of indoor dining. I think it's August at earliest. Right. Um, So I think we've got a little while ahead of us. I'm... I'm kind of now accepted that I will leave Canada before... Toronto isn't a place where um, we're sitting down or anything again. Yeah, right. And that's kind of harsh for me, like having only been here on a two-year work visa, knowing that I got all of about not even three months. Yeah. And then this has been my reality. Can can the (laughs) visa be extended, you know? No. But also I don't really want it to. Like no shade on Canada. I mean, I've made amazing friends and all here, but like I'm ready to move. I'm ready to move on now. And I don't know whether um, that's due to COVID. Like I'm just so emotionally exhausted, but um, I don't know. I think, and I I do feel that I do feel a lot of it and a lot of my readiness to move on is due to COVID. Like I think I've lost a lot of my optimism over the last year. Like I consider myself a very optimistic person and I find myself really struggling to, um, I guess, plan and see anything in the future at the moment. Um, Not in a chronically depressed way, just, you know, generally I feel I'm definitely, it's, it's, it's had its toll. This has definitely had its toll and it's going to take, I think, a long time to get over. Um, But um, I'm ready to move on, but I'm also terrified of landing in Australia and everything. Like, I mean, I assume I'll have to go into quarantine if I come back to Australia, but um the idea of walking from this into everyone behaving like COVID never happened to a large extent is terrifying to me. Yeah. I'm, I think that will be extremely overwhelming. It's been a long time for me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it will also uh, depend on which parts of Australia you're in. Like uh, we're yeah. recording this as Victoria's gone back into another lockdown. Exactly. 
And, you know, I could hear it, uh, you know, talking to some people on the phone down there. You know, I had a friend who was uh, really weirdly angry uh, because uh, I flew back to Adelaide to see uh, mum for her birthday. And she was like, I'm not talking to anyone from Adelaide because I'm angry with Adelaide. And it's like, because someone who'd had COVID was in Adelaide and went to Melbourne and this is supposedly what's kicked it off again. And it's like... Well, that's kind of irrational, but that's kind of where you're at. It's looking for someone to blame. And I feel like I've gone through that too. Like I go through the most manic almost. um, I get so angry at Doug Ford, our premier. And then the next minute I'm kind of like, well, actually it's the anti-vaxxers. There are way too many anti-vaxxers around here and you cannot talk to an anti-vaxxer. I want to punch them all. And then like my anger is just so, I think at the moment, you're so angry at the situation and a situation's hard to be angry at. Yeah. So you look for somebody to be angry at. And I mean, Doug Ford has botched this something chronic in Toronto, but I, in Ontario in general, sorry, but I also go like, I'm not too sure how much different, it's like, you know, it's just, it's hard. Yeah. And that's just the reality of this situation and the times right now. And I think that was, um, yeah, it, it, it's an interesting time, and I think I get very frustrated um, with a lot of stuff in Australia at times, but from my own – and, like, that's the thing. I get really angry as if – I get angry at people in Australia saying, um, like, on social media and such, um, sort of talking about how difficult their 2020 was due to COVID. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of a part of me that's like, really? Yeah. Was it hard for you? Yeah. Was it all, like, three weeks you are in lockdown? Was that difficult for you? Yeah. <laughs> like, I get frustrated. But of course, everyone speaks from their own experience, and that's wildly unfair of me. That is wildly unfair of me and entitled of me to think that just because you're in Australia, you didn't have a difficult experience. Um, and I, I think it's just looking for someone to blame and looking for someone to be angry at a lot of the time. Yeah. Because <laughs> things have not gone to plan. Yeah. But to circle back to Bo Burnham's special, I think that that was dealt with in a really good way. His way of um, discussing the issues and the feeling here. And, I mean, I'm in Canada, not America, mm. um, but the toll the election took, um, the Black Lives Matter protest last year and everything, that seeped very much into Canada. So I can't imagine how stressful it would have been um, to be in the US during that time. But it's, I feel like that overwhelming thoughts that overwhelming feeling, I'm sorry, came through very strongly yeah. through his pick. And I, I related heavily to that. So I can't imagine how much people who were more impacted would have felt through yeah. that. It's interesting the, the the kind of dialogue that he's having with himself about, A, should he be making jokes when, you know, shit is going on? And then also as a white guy, well, if you're it, – it's a, it's a really interesting situation where if you're – aware of what is going on in the world and you empathize with it then how do you still create work when you know that other people should be getting an opportunity especially when this is all i've you know like for me this is all i've done so yeah how do i find the balance of still producing uh you know work that is expressive taking into account what's going on in the world and making sure that you're not getting in the way of anything, but 
also making certain that there's diversity amongst white guys as well. Because, you know, all, yeah. especially in Australia, it's all the same white guys getting the f- same fucking jobs. Oh, very much. And I think um, it's, I like, I mean, I obviously can't speak on racial topics, like as mm. a white woman, um, but I can speak in regards to like women on lineups and the amount of lineups that go up that are all male. Mm. And that, and they just think you won't notice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've gone to that many comedy shows where it's been the same white guy after the same white guy for an entire show. Yeah. Um, but I think I found it very, very interesting the way he dealt with that in the special. I really found it interesting how he um, straight up called it out while then later in the special also saying that acknowledging to a large extent does not really mean anything. Mm. It doesn't really do anything to like you. If you continue the behavior, it's really irrelevant. But then I, I think one line in that really stood out to me in the um, one of his songs was um, you say the whole world's ending, honey, it already did. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting the way it's almost saying my world has already ended. So he's acknowledging that it is at the end of the day sort of about him. Mm. It is his world will always be seen like first because that is how everybody sort of acts. As much as we act for others, there will always be this, to an extent, an inherent narcissism. Yeah. Um, And I found that very, very interesting. Yeah. it's uh, So you've done a bit of reading, is that right, of reviews, et cetera? Um, I've kind of seen some i've not done a huge extent right. but yes. yeah so i was just uh, I, I found that a little bit fascinating what you said before about the criticism of that song being misogynistic and i was curious as to what were people liking Crit- and, and not liking in the show Honestly, I will say that all criticism I have seen of that i've seen like a couple of videos on tiktok regarding that i've not read that in any okay actual formal review. I have not read in any formal review that it was misogynistic or anything of the like. I just saw last night I was um, on TikTok and I saw a few people posting videos saying that and I just thought that was a bit much. But I've certainly not, in all reviews I've seen, have given it five stars. Right, right. It's been wildly well received. Yeah. How long has it been out? Uh, It's only been about a week, hasn't it? It's only a few days. Right. Yeah, it hasn't been a week. Because I feel like I... Uh, I definitely knew that it was around, but it seems to have hit pretty hard quickly. Like, uh, I was at a gig last night, and there were quite a few people who had already seen it, you know, talking about it. Hmm. Well, I think it's it's an interesting concept, the fact that he, like, wrote, performed, shot, and edited it all by himself in a room. Hmm. Um, the fact that that would create Netflix standard material is very impressive. Yeah. Um, and... The, the like I feel like that appeals to a lot of people purely as a concept. Yeah. Um, because I didn't see much hype leading up no, to it. No, neither did I. I didn't see any media hype or anything leading up to it. It was something that um, I just saw trending on Twitter and everything like that. And I've always been a fan of Bo Burnham, yeah. um, so I was excited to see it and absolutely loved it. So, yeah, I was surprised that there wasn't more media hype for it, I guess. It's probably a good thing as well. Like, you just kind of, this is one of those perfect things that you drop and it's fully formed and it's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it really does appeal the fact that he did it all by himself as well. That's always been mm-hmm. 
one of the things that's attracted me to the comedy world, which is you can kind of just make your own show. It's all DIY. And and mm. then when you go into other mediums, that's what's quite frustrating because suddenly there's lots of people with opinions coming in and stirring the pot and, you know, ruining things. Oh, definitely. I did feel um, like with comedy versus acting, for example, in acting you're forever waiting for someone else to write something than them to cast yeah. you. You're always waiting for someone else to give you something. In stand-up I sort of felt obviously – you don't get on a room if they don't like you. But, I mean, yeah. in general, you work almost as much as you want to. Yeah. And you can mm. create your own shows as well. Yeah. You know, if if you don't like a room, you can create a room. Yeah. Which has always been, you know. <laughs> there are many rooms I would never return to. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm the same as well. Like, <laughs> as I said, uh, you know, watching comedy – outside of working to me is just not something that I've done in the last four or five years, to be honest. Like, I, I never watch any of the stand-up specials or anything like that. I just kind of don't have any interest in them. And I, I also, I feel like when I've got downtime, I want to fill my head with other things to generate my own work. But uh, this was great. Yeah. This was such a, you know, and once again, I need to reiterate, that's because... I used to watch and study comedy for decades. So it's just now, yeah. you know, you go, ugh. And it becomes, it does become a little bit, um, I found when I was in Sydney and I was um, working at what she said mm. every Sunday and doing rooms, I was performing the better part of seven nights every week. And it gets to a point where things stop being funny. Yeah, <laughs> I found myself, the the level that you had to reach in order to make me even chuckle mm. became so high that I just wasn't enjoying comedy anymore because I'd just seen so much of yeah. it that nothing was funny anymore. Yeah. You know, uh, the way I started enjoying uh, stand-up again was to, when I'm in the room, I pay like 80% attention. So I kind of let my mind wander a little bit. So therefore, a joke can take you by surprise. You're not watching it. And yeah. working out the rhythms or anything like that. So you you, hmm. you let your mind wander a little bit and then that can kind of, that's how it worked for me. It's like, oh, yeah, that took me by surprise. So what you're saying is everyone should be on their phone at a comedy show. No, I think uh, if you work in comedy, <laughs> you should, you know, you still, it's like you're still looking, but you're just not analysing. That stopped me from analysing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I get, I think I, can definitely be a little bit too self-critical and a bit too self-involved at times. And I think um, you can watch too much comedy and start kind of going like, why aren't I as good as them or that? And then all of a sudden you're not enjoying oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a slippery slope right there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I should uh, let you go. And uh, what, what's coming up now? Do you uh, do you have any more articles? You Because uh, you had your article about the uh, true crime podcast that you... yeah. I might write an article about this. Maybe every time I do a podcast with you, I'll turn it into an article. Yeah, right. that's, a, that's a great idea. Uh, but do you have any more coming up? <laughs> um, I have things coming out everywhere. Um, I'll post them all on my social media as I, I don't know what to spruik. Right. I'm always writing something. You know me. Yeah, I do know <laughs> so, you. That's good. 
I have a lot of time on my hands at the moment, so better write something. Right. But I always post on Twitter and everything, whatever I'm posting. So okay. follow me. All right. At Rachel Malanta. Yes. Because I'm creative with my username. Yes. Well, you know, not all of us uh, have a name that we get to own on the socials. Yeah, so- that's the good thing about my name. No one can spell it, but if you can, I'm the only one. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. and I really hit it off this year. We met last year at the Adelaide Fringe and we got along well and then we have hung out a little bit more here and we've really enjoyed working with each other on the podcast and also live on stage. I think she's pretty fantastic and uh, just brings a really interesting take to the world and interesting stuff going on. So uh, just a heads up though, Ange promotes shows in Melbourne that have had to be cancelled unfortunately, but hopefully she'll be able to wrangle another set of gigs later in the year so she can head down there. So no point taking it out, but I just wanted to give you a heads up. It's disappointing, but at least we have her here. So let's bring in Ange. Saying goodbye to you the last time you were here was probably the strangest goodbye I've had with anyone because I... You did it, man. No, no, it was my fault. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I completely embraced it being my fault. But as you were leaving, we were somehow talking about spiders. I think you were talking about being terrified of spiders. Well, no, no, no. So, well, last time we talked about the fact that spiders were following me. Yes. Or I guess I talked about that because... It's a bit of an insane theory, and I'm not sure that you, you know, you gave it full endorsement. You were like, yeah, okay, Ange. But <laughs> spiders were following me. Right. Um, you know, I found seven in my car in January, and I was for months covered in spider bites. Um, and I'd walk into webs, and they'd like, I found one in my hair. And I. I have to just, sorry to interrupt you, I wasn't discounting you, it's just that the words I was covered in spider bites <laughs> kind of set me into a mild coma. <laughs> so I think that was a coping mechanism of sure. me going, yeah, shut down. Yeah, people don't cope well with, with spider chat. Yeah, but being bitten by a lot of spiders. But anyway, as you were leaving, I told you this uh, old uh, Irish uh, proverb, I mm. guess, that every time you kill a spider, you destroy a little part of your imagination. Yeah. And you were subsequently mortified as the doors closed on your yeah, face. Yeah, Like, let's be absolutely clear. The way that you did this was, hey, <laughs> guess what? Did you know every time you kill a spider, little part of your imagination dies. Anywho, bye! And yep. slammed the door in my face and I've just like, my, like, just crumbled internally like that I was absolutely fucked the rest of the day. I'm like, oh my God. I, well, what have I lost? What have I done? I've killed so many. Yeah. My whole life. I just walked back in here. Do, 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 do. Nice chat. Had a nice chat. But then it was, uh, what I really enjoyed was, I think it was only a few days later, mm. you called me and you had change your whole theory on spiders or yeah. your, your approach at least yeah so what i started doing was because spiders didn't stop following me shock um they, they, they were they're still following me um they've actually backed off now which which i'll come to but um the spiders were still following me but i took on a new 
ethos where I endeavoured to save spiders. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think I was actually because I, I couldn't remember which which number apartment you were. So I was like scrolling up through our messages before I came here today, and I saw a photo that I'd sent you of a spider, <laughs> this giant huntsman yeah. in a jar that yeah. I had rescued. It's extended to other animals as well. I was um, I was in the green room of, of Sydney for Sydney Writers Festival. I was moderating an event, and um, and there was a bee that it got stuck in the green room. Oh, yeah. But it had forgotten how to fly. So it was just kind of like crawling around on the floor. And I guess there were some people with bee allergies or just afraid of insects or whatever. And so people were freaking out. And I was like, oh, my God, someone's going to kill this bee. And I'm like, what if, what if, like, what if every time a, like you kill a bee, like a part of your libido dies? Or like, what if like, what if, you know, I don't know where this, the- I don't know this theory. I haven't studied this. So I'm like, so then I went and got like a paper, like asked the, the catering staff, and got like a, you know, a cup and a, and a thing and like part of my script for the event and, and went and rescued this bee and took it back outside and put, found like the only patch of grass at Carriage Works in Sydney and, and put it there. Little fucker came back in, but anyway, right. yeah, anyway, look, yeah, I have changed my um, my approach to well, insects. It's it's a good thing with the bees because there's only seven left. Yeah, yeah. So I had a chat to him about that, and I was like, "Hey, like, in much in the same way that like my parents do to me, it's like, look, we only gave birth to two of you, right? Um, Love Wapia has a pretty cool name." Maybe think about passing it on. Really? Like I had a no. They don't. They're not. The pressure is much more uh, subtle and indirect than that. Right. Um, but uh, but with this bee, I was like, hey mate, you know, without you, we're all like the whole species, our species, your species, we're all ruined. You're you're what's keeping us going. So I gave him a little pep talk, but he just wanted to be in the green room. Right. I guess. Maybe you like the colour green. Yeah. Maybe Maybe that was it. I do like the idea of every time you squish a bee, a part of your libido dies. (laughs) Yeah, it's disturbing, isn't it? I must have been killing a lot of bees in my sleep. I must be... uh, (laughs) It suddenly explains a lot. It's, oh, yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm going to kill some more bees. Yeah, this is good. I'm I'm happy to let it go. Uh, How has the spider situation uh, developed then? Okay, so, 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 I mean, like, I... I developed this affinity for spiders. Um, there was some sort of spider synchronicity happening, you know, like I, uh, I showed up for a spot on the radio and there was 25 minutes of talk back happening about spiders and spider appreciation, um, all the good qualities of spiders, how smart they are. Right. You know, like if you, if you move their web a few times, they'll relocate it, they'll move it so like they'll create like an arch for you. Oh, because yeah, oh yeah. So they're really they're really clever. So so, you, so you're saying if you went up to like just a part of right, so its it, web and just kind of tug it a couple of times at that certain spot, it will get the picture. And so my, at my ex's place, there was like this alleyway that we that I had to walk through to get to my car mm. and or or into the room. And so you'd like walk through this alleyway, and it was just like this. It was just spider infested, mm. which possibly explains why I thought that spiders were following me. It's more that I was following spiders. Right. Um, they were circling each other. Yeah, we're mates anyway. <laughs> but I'd walk through these webs and kind of have that immediate moment where you're like, ah, 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 I'm covered in spider webs. Oh, I'm probably, that. I've probably eaten one. Oh, no. And then, um, but then it happened enough times that like after a while I'd walk through and I'd be like, huh, you didn't walk through a spider web. And I'd look up. And there'd be like uh, the 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 whole guy, the guy just moved or girl right. had just moved their web and their whole scenario like a meter up to be like hey hey Ange come on through let's share this path 
Ah, well, that makes me feel bad about the spiders I have killed over the years. But you said you were a non-spider killer. Well, like in recent years. Right. When did it shift and what shifted you? I just... So, you know... Unfortunately, sometimes you are your genus sometimes. And when I was a boy, you know, I enjoyed killing insects and doing all that kind of awful stuff. Oh, like mini psychopath stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, like- I used to kill snails. I used to like get piles of snails, collect collect snails and then dump them on the concrete and then put on my gum boots and jump on them until they were <laughs> snail mush. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. That is... So we're all little psychos. Kids don't have moral development. That's the yes. thing. Yeah. Yes. And for the most part, you're just terrified of them so that's why you're killing them i think like well, that's what i was doing yeah, i wish i could say that about the snails but it was just a- i was bad with sliders do you remember sliders, I remember sliders. Yeah, yeah poor little things they, yeah. they don't do anything wrong no but anyway so then i just kind of got older and i just sort of thought uh you know like they're living their lives they're doing their things like who knows what's going on cognizant wise with them it's when it's they're quite intelligent some yes, of them yeah. some of them live up to 20 years Really? Yeah, twenty. There's like twenty year old spiders. There's, right. There's spiders that outlive some of us. There's yeah. spiders that are allowed to buy booze and yeah, see an R rated movie on their pee plates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and you just get to the point where so I try to save them. Like yeah. if I've got a spider in here, yeah. I will do my best. But if I'm going to be honest, I can't go to bed knowing that there's a spider in the house. So what do you do? You, do you still kill them sometimes? Well, you know, if I can't get to them and they're not helping me out, maybe a little spray or a little whatever. But for the Don't most part... Don't make it cute by saying, like, a little spray. Like I give them you, a little tickle them, them a, with my foot. A little tickle with the poison. <laughs> and then, oh, no. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, oh, it's gone to sleep. Yeah, oh. I, I, just, I just give them a nice little tap with my fist and then it's dead. No, I, I, it, I try to get them out. That's, that's what I try to do. Right. I, I have been... I have to be honest. I've even done that with cockroaches. If I can catch a cockroach and just throw it out because they're indestructible and I'm on the third floor and I can just throw it off the balcony, I know... It will land and just continue living for the next 10 million years. Oh, yeah, So yeah, yeah. that's fine. Yeah, the, the cockroaches. But I try not to kill things. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I've kind of gone on, like, after after that fateful day. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. I am. Uh, are you? Actually, well, you probably are. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, it, sent me, it sent me on a real thing. My, I think, well, I've kind of, like, tentatively titled my next show, um, uh, Spiders Follow Me. Um, because I've become obsessed with the idea that because I, to losing things full stop terrifies me, right? Just things in general. Things in general. Right. Anyth- anything. It just freaks me right out. Like it just it just like flips all the crazy switches in my mind. And I like like right now, for example, mm. I don't know where my sunglasses are, mm-hmm. and I like I'm having other thoughts, but never do I not have the concurrent thought. Where are my sunglasses? Okay. So the whole time we've been hanging out and talking, yeah. I'm also thinking, where the fuck are my sunglasses? Yeah, right. And I won't be able to get rid of that. Like, it'll take me a lot of processing if they're actually gone. Um, but that thought won't go away until I find them or replace them with something as good or better. Like sunglasses or anything? Sunglasses. Right. They have to be sunglasses. They have to be sunglasses. Yeah, like, sunglasses. You, can't, you can't lose your sunglasses, not be able to find your sunglasses... Buy a hat and no, everything's fine. No, it's not the same thing. What do you think sets that off? Is it you just like things to be in place and when they're not in place, that means there's been a break in your synapses and that's therefore you don't quite know where... It's like 
it, we your day last, has gone. We talk a lot of time about like how I obsessively write everything down because I don't trust my memory. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a bit like that. It's like it's like uh, it's like admitting to mortality. If you mm. like if you like lose things or forget things, it's like, well, did it even happen? Yeah. Like I sort of have to constantly have all the thoughts and the knowledge and my belongings gathered around me in order to prove that I exist and continue yeah. to exist. Yeah, I love that you say that in my apartment. And if you look around this apartment, it literally looks like what my brain is. Your brain is. Like my brain Marvel is like it's, it's everything that like literally <laughs> everything I'm into Bowie. can yeah. be seen. It is like yeah. there's even a fucking fez behind you. Like yeah, what is happening here? Well, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Am I inside your brain? You might be. Oh my god. There's heaps of room. <laughs> <laughs> more, more room to add stuff, which is great. Yeah. You know, but it's uh, so I'm a as you can see put my keys and my wallet in the same place all yeah. the time. It's very organized and I respect it. And then if it's if if for some reason it's not there. Oh, you freak out. Like I genuinely have a mild meltdown. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's yeah. like what what is going on with the yeah, world? Well, quite similar in that way. Yeah. yeah. I read a short story as a kid where and it was a, just a fun short story where uh, essentially there were these creatures who are creating every moment of our reality just a little bit ahead of us. So it's like mm. they're quickly building the sets Ooh, and good. they're always creating reality. Yeah. And so that's what happens. And essentially the, the short story was, you know, when you look for your sunglasses and you like, I put them on this table. Where are they? And you look and you look and look. And then when you look back and the sunglasses are there and you think, I was just looking there. How That is the things that create reality they forgot mm. they got the continuity wrong and they forgot to put the sunglasses there so they slip them back it's very matrix the next bit. yeah yeah extremely matrix a very cute story that i feel like i buy into yeah in some regard <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely uh like i have i have rec- a recurring dream about um like i'm walking through the street of a sort of dystopian city and there's just these empty boarded up shop fronts but in in all these shop fronts are all my treasured belongings Oh. Um, and I'll like walk past and it's like the things, like all the things that I've lost. Right. Basically what I'm saying is you really fucked with me that day. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so and now, and now I've like the whole thing is like, I'm like, well, because it's not just, a, it's not just imagination because that's like a deep fear of mine. It's that I did, you know, so much brain damage to myself because the early, my earliest memory is being told that I was clever. And then, uh, and then all throughout my twenties, I did a prodigious amount of drugs. Right. Um, <laughs> I was like, should I say this? Yeah, okay, yeah. it's fine. Um, and then, and then I'm always worried and drink, you know, drink a lot. And then I'm like, what's what? Of, what of my memory have I sacrificed, and what of my imagination have I sacrificed? Kind of handy right. to pin it on the spiders, though. Yeah. So now I'm kind of obsessed with this idea about about what you lose as you get older. And you do, you do lose a lot of things. You you lose the the ability to just kind of bring two ideas together. You often lose the ability to give a fuck about old friendships. You <laughs> lose so much. It's it's consult, a fascinating experience. Can, console myself with the thought that maybe my vocabulary would grow, and it has, in, and like it grows in some directions, but then it shrinks in others. Like yes. words that you've known your whole life are t- all of a sudden completely inaccessible to you. So I work on a TV show called The Chase, and I work with uh, it's a quiz show and contestants come on and they go up against these quiz masters and the quiz masters are you know they're kind of fun uh archetypes like the shark or goliath sure. and all that kind of stuff and it's all fun and it's all a bit cheesy but it's all in you know it's it's a it's a fun show and so i work in particular 
with the chasers and keep mm. them sharp and work on funny jokes for them to say and mm, stuff mm, like mm, that. Mm. And to get them into the mode before we go out there, I read them. It's just the two of us in a in a room, and I read them questions, and they have to answer. It's yeah, like right. they warm Quick up. Fire, yeah. And the amount of words because a quiz is full of things that you have read but never said out loud mm. and it is fucking devastating how many words you know but you do not know quite how to pronounce yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah well yeah. a big one for me is like and I still to this day can't get it right I still can't tell the difference between so my so my grandmother used to talk about a, like a tartar or a ta- I think it's a tartar chin. Right. And it's because it's like it's a weak chin and that being a sign of weak character, like yeah. a, a chin that kind of doesn't have, in her view, good definition. Yeah. Um, and and I still don't know if the dish of raw meat that you get at a restaurant is tartar or tartare. That's tartare, isn't it? Well, you see, I believe you. Right. In like in my, I'll, I'll never remember. Right, it just it's not going to stick even yeah. after this. You know what? By the way, uh, who told you that? Your nan. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I never met her, but the knowledge has been passed. Oh, down. right. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I, that's why I have a bit. It's my desperate attempt at jaw definition, so <laughs> people will trust me. It's working. Thank I you. trust you. Thank you. Yeah. Take the beard off, you will be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Jesus Christ, what is this amorphous fucking thing coming I in my like direction? I this guy's brain. What's going on? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, that's all fascinating. Uh, just to get back to your earliest memory is being told that you're smart. Oh, yeah. So. That'll fuck you up. Right. I yeah. was just about to say, was that a burden? Oh, yeah. yeah. Because then you're like. Because then, like, you need people to keep telling you you're clever for your whole life, and if you right. and if you don't hear it uh, every so often, by which I mean like a couple of times a day, then you like you sort of you dissolve. Yeah, which is why lockdown was a nightmare for me. Oh my god! Like, I don't exist. I yeah. Don't, what do I? I don't know. And I was still making a podcast the whole time as well, so it's kind of. This is all monstrous to admit. It's you know very... what's funny? I had exactly the same thoughts, but I was very much at peace. I was like, oh, my God, I don't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was still making a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's like, what do you need? God, you're needy. Um, but, but, you know. I, I reckon I would have been in a different situation if I was younger. Like, I, I found that time to give me that real opportunity to have the head just stop buzzing and just clear up. Like, I... I actually look at lockdown and think, oh, thank you, because I actually probably, and this sounds weird, like myself heaps more after lockdown than I did before. That's good. That's really good. If you get, like, locked in a room figuratively with, well, literally with yourself and you emerge, you know... It's like, you know, it's like everyone's perpetual fear in a relationship, right? It's like, oh, well, they'll get to know me and they won't like me. Like, you, you got to know yourself and you liked yourself. Well, I'd, I'm not entirely certain that's exactly the journey, but I think it was more a case of I had time to think things through and yeah. came to some conclusions oh, that yeah. were just really healthy. And yep. things like, and I've talked a little bit about this on the podcast before, but just kind of looking at some friendships and having a lot of affection for those people, hmm. but just kind of knowing... At this point in my life, it's kind of done and I'm, I'm mm. fine if we don't catch up and I'm fine if I'm not in contact with you. And if I bump into you, that'll be great. And maybe in a year or three years or five years, we'll, we'll reconnect. But even if we do reconnect, it will 
it will have to be different. It can't be this version of the friendship. I definitely developed a sense of urgency during lockdown. I felt mm-hmm. like I had this acute time and uh, acute sense, and I've spoken to other people about this who've shared this experience, that time was being stolen from us. And I know that mm. makes me sound like, I can't remember if it's like a South Park thing or like where, where they, he thinks that the water's being stolen. No, it's, it's the Simpsons. The, when the mayor thinks that the, like, the water's being stolen from him, like do you water the, anyway, whatever. Yeah. But like, <laughs> it's like, like I'm aware that it's much like spiders following me sounds like a nuts statement, but I'm like, I'm being robbed. Right. Um, and, and, and so, but I'd had that experience before because I'd been, I don't know if that I've ever said this to you or explained it, but like I had, so I had cancer when I was younger. Yes. So I've always kind of like moved through life when I, when I was about 15, 16, 17, healthy now, just need to get that out of the way. Otherwise people worry, but uh, you know, so I've always kind of rushed through life, but it's made me, it's kind of like redoubled that, which I didn't really need. Someone yeah. asked me yesterday um, what I do to be still. I'm like, I don't, I don't. Like I don't. Yeah. Like I, like I, like I do stuff, and then I sedate myself, and then I right. wake up in the morning and I do more stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, that is, I, I, I can relate to that so much up until lockdown. Yeah. And I forced myself to just go a little bit inward because I, I knew that's all I could really rely on, and I was looking out for. I don't have a big family, but I was looking out for mum and my auntie and uncle. That's mm. pretty much who I was looking out for. But mm. I was. I was on the phone every day to my mum, keeping her engaged with the world. Yeah. And I was on the phone to my auntie and uncle every few days. And that's kind of all I had space for. And then I was like, well, you're just going to have to rely on yourself. So you better fucking work some shit out. Yeah. Because this is a real opportunity. And I, the first couple of weeks of lockdown, I emotionally prepared myself for a year. And then that's I was smart. like... If it's less than a year, that's great. If it's a year, well, I was prepared for it. And if it's 18 months, well, I've already done a year. I can do another six months. Sure. If you do a year, you can do anything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so it was a lot of... uh, And then just trying to connect intellectually and then, you know, with writing and the podcast, like the podcast has been in many ways a real saviour because Mm. it kind of grew organically and I didn't I wasn't in a rush I wasn't going anywhere and the people who listen to this podcast and you know that's you at this moment you guys are great you're really smart you're engaged with the world they have all these interests that they want to share and they want to discuss we don't always agree but that's fine because we're all coming from this really nice place and mm. it was like oh this is how discourse can be yeah. this is how you can talk about stuff isn't it nice to be amongst a whole lot of people who just love shit and when they watch or experience something want to love it and then through that process that's how I get to that point with those friends where you go we're just in different places and to be honest when I'm around you I feel a little bit shit and it's not necessarily your fault but it's because you're still over here in this world and I've I've moved out well I think we all move through life just accepting like we've, we've all got a predisposition for the st- for the status quo right? right like that's why incumbents in government always have the advantage because you have to make a case for change yeah um, and all of a sudden 
everyone got a hard reset button. It's like we all got to reboot. Like, like you know, you get to close all close all the tabs mm. um, and then choose which ones to reopen. Mm. And so you had this like like once in a lifetime, inshallah, um, opportunity to kind of make choices about what you want your adult life to look like. Mm. Because otherwise, it's just this process of inertia, and you just kind of like, well, I've got these friends, and so this is how I'll continue. I've got these interests. That's how I'll continue. Mm. I go into work five times a day, you know, five times a week for at this job that I feel, you know, X, Y, or Z about, that's how I'll continue. You need to make a case for change, but instead change was made for us, which Mm. is, you know, a blessing, definitely. Yeah, and it's interesting within those uh, circles that you move, you often over time through just necessity and uh, it just makes life easier, you can inadvertently just become a version of yourself that you play. Yeah. It's like you're taking on a role and if you don't want to be in that role anymore, you need to get out of it. And I think that's why sometimes when you end up in those places and these, once again, it's not their fault if that's what they're comfortable with and that's what they're into, like that is what they're into. That's not a problem. But if they're talking about stuff that you've moved on from and it's usually in like little quips about someone or just Mm. little snarky remarks or that, and uh, it makes me feel really claustrophobic because I really like where things are at now. So, okay, so there are people in the world who have a very, very, very strong sense of who they are. They're very sure of who they are. Mm. And they're not always the people that you think necessarily. Like, people think that I have a very strong sense of who I am. But who I am is very deep. Like, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. And no one's totally self-reliant. No one totally mm. has, a, has a firm, concrete self that doesn't, you know, we'd all go mad if we were Tom Hanks on an island, you know. Yeah. But um, we, we all need other people and society is a mirror for ourselves in order to understand ourselves, have ourselves reflect back um, but some people are more reliant on that reflection to understand themselves than others I'm that yes and so for, for a lot of people I think you know being isolated was like their sense of self dissolved yes because it's like well the version of who I am the way I understand myself is is like 98% like it is almost wholly and solely defined by um, how I see myself bounced back off like refracted yeah. back off people yeah and if and if you don't have that anymore then then you know. Then you you have to do a very like very major audit. Yeah. Uh, like it's like horrific audit. Like, yeah. um and and, it, and yeah. But I mean, rewarding. Yeah, if it doesn't destroy you. Oh yeah. Well, I, there's. I reckon there was a. Few, there were definitely a few days where it was like, well, everything's been pulled down. This is it. It's been pulled down, and you have either two choices: where you can either wallow in it, or you can start to rebuild and I feel like like I'm just this is this is the next version of me I'm not particularly certain I enjoyed the last version uh whatever that was do you really was. feel like a new version of yourself is yeah, it that like profound yeah it's still wow. me yeah but it's just a, like it's I think it's just better it does it's not flawless it's not but it's just better. Okay, so this is interesting. I'm really interested in this. Um, every now and then, I'm actually, uh, weirdly, tomorrow night, I'm going to go meet up with this uh, guy from school. I haven't seen him in, in you know, 16 years. Mm. Um, and I am always fascinated because you, you think when you change that other people can tell that you've changed. Yeah, but maybe. Yours, but your modes of communicating, which are, like, learned in very, very early development, they're not terribly malleable. Mm. Like, you sort of, you, your, your inner world might be different, but you're still sort 
sort of, you know, expressing yourself and, and like, uh, moving and sort of emoting in roughly a similar way to an observer as you did before. Mm. And so it's always this really discombobulating thing, I think, when you perceive that you've changed a lot, but then you meet up with someone who you knew from the before times mm. and you're like, and, you, you know, you, you get drunk enough that you're like, hey, hey. Do you think I've changed? <laughs> Do you think I'm – am I different to, like, the person that you knew, whether it was, like, two years ago, ten yeah. years ago, 30 years ago? Um, and, there, and the answer almost invariably in my experience is no. Right. And I'm like – and it's kind of devastating to hear that because – because um, you're like, I think I've changed a bunch. And I think, and you know, usually you prefer the ways that you've changed because usually you've chosen them in some way. Um, Don't discount that people can be extremely unobservant. Right. So what they're doing is probably saying, I think, I think you kind of answered the question in that those aspects of you, you know, you probably do smile in a very similar way to the way you used to smile and moved your arms or, you yeah, know. Yeah, it's not face off. Like I didn't, you know. Yes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, imagine that. Who would you go to? <laughs> if you were going to go as someone else tomorrow, who would it be? Oh, my goodness. Who would it be? Uh, I really enjoyed. I watched a video of today of early Norm MacDonald. Right. Um, go as Norm MacDonald. I, I would go as like young Norm MacDonald. Yeah. That's how I would move through the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll go as young Earl McPherson. Yeah. <laughs> really confuse people. Really some people up. Yeah. <laughs> but still with all the same gesticulations yeah, and the yeah, eye yeah, movements yeah. and uh, like, still talking about Christopher Nolan. What like, the what, fuck? Norm's a lot more earnest than he used to be. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> Why is Norm talking about the refraction of identity? Wow. What's going on there? <laughs> but I think that's really interesting and... It's, it's so what they're doing is they're they're reacting to the mannerisms and the ticks and they're also in their own head thinking about how who they are and whatever is yeah in people are really wrapped up in there. themselves that we all are but isn't that terrifying that the sum of you the impression that you give is actually really just a kind of a, a, a kind of constellation of those like ticks and those things and, yes. and like and the content and your kind of you know your intention actually really counts for precious little yes well we're renters of these atoms and we've only got them for a short amount of time before we have to give them back yeah so but the thing is so it's it's funny I've had close friends comment this year on how different I feel. On oh, how different you seem. Yeah, or, like, yeah right. like I feel to, like when they see me, you yeah. know, they're, oh, yeah, you know. Do other people I, have noticed with you? Sorry? So people have noticed with you. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and I also haven't had an urge to ask people if they think that, do you think that I've changed, <laughs> which might be might be the biggest change. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Maybe that's like Ange Mark Three is like I, I get Maybe. to I get to go like I'm, grow out of the need to ask people if I've changed. Like maybe you know I guess it's you know like it's the the thing is is that. Yeah, it's and the way you know, they would know it, is they'd be like, "You haven't asked me in a while if you've changed. Yeah. You must be different." Wow, you you are you are different. <laughs> you are different, Norm Macdonald. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no, it's just been an interesting uh, time, and I think it's been a really uh, fruitful time in in that regard. And then it's just it's it's good when you have moments of clarity because you then often make good decisions and you, you take little gambles like like good gambles you know on on things that you want to do and you know it's good like I had a little bit of um I had a I had maybe a couple of twinges of oh it would have been nice to be down at the Melbourne Comedy Festival but I knew the reason that I didn't go down there was so important and a lot more forward looking 
that it was it was actually a nice feeling to go, oh, it would have been nice to be down there. But for the most part, I was wrapped that I didn't go because yeah. I knew that the decisions were much better to stay here. Yeah. Yeah, whereas I felt like a desperate sense of like, Jesus, why didn't I book a season? <laughs> why didn't I book a season? But, you know, this is the, the joys of, you know, being old. <laughs> yeah, well, then, then now I have booked a season. I've booked like a, like a, like a back, like a, I'm doing Melbourne now because I'm like, I regret not doing Melbourne. Oh, yeah. I think it's pretty smart to do a, a little season that you can control outside of uh, the festival season. Yeah, well, you don't have to like compete against, a, you know, a few hundred other comics, I guess, which is nice. That's but, nice. Yeah. So... And you, uh, the the work you do on the signal is uh, really great. Uh, and I, I listened to the satellites episode. Oh yeah, the satellites episode. It was. I really liked the rapport between uh, everyone <laughs> that was on. It was really. Uh, it was fun and it was interesting, and I genuinely learned so much from that eighteen minute podcast that it got to a point where I was feeling mildly terrified mm. and would you like to just kind of update people with uh if they haven't heard that yeah. edition of the podcast yeah yeah yeah. so for anyone who hasn't heard like i'm just pleased that we got away with the title that we got away with which was friday doomsday satellite scenarios no yes yeah <laughs> i think that was it uh and it was like well i can't believe you know i can't believe they're letting us do this um literally but, the first time i have ever laughed at the word friday yeah well it's not so a funny word you. unless you apply it to doomsday yes um, um, but yeah, so basically I started down this track because I like seeing a couple of headlines just in techie publications being like, Apple's trying to like do this with satellites. Amazon's trying to do this with satellites. And I was like, that's like, I always thought of nation states as the primary, you know, operators of satellites. Right. And, and, you know, but obviously now, you know, that, that makes total sense. I mean, like SpaceX is sending people into like, you know, doing commercial space flight. Like obviously everyone's got satellites. And I was like, oh, we'll do an episode about it. Thinking it'd be like something soft that I'd have to beat up. Um, and then I started looking into it and it was so much more serious than I thought it was. So just this year, right? So just in 2021, we're not even halfway through. There have been more than a thousand satellites put up into orbit. I, you know, just to interrupt for the briefest of seconds, I am flabbergasted by that number. Now, I have never really thought about how many satellites were up there, but I would have guessed like 71. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's, there's, <laughs> so, there's heaps of them. Heaps. But not just that. So in the entirety of like satellite history, which is in decades, yeah. we've put up five or six thousand so we've put up so we've added a thousand in the last like five months or whatever right so we're really like we're going at a real clip um there's a rocket like every other day several a week sometimes they're carrying like a couple sometimes they're carrying like a hundred so there's this like multiplication happening um uh some the russians are doing something they're doing like the classic sneaky russian thing where they're sending like these babushka doll um uh, satellites into space so they're like yeah we're sending up one and then they send one up and then i don't know that was transylvanian accent doesn't matter (laughs) Um, but then but then out pops another satellite and then within that other satellite is another satellite so there's like three russian spy satellites and they just said that they were they were sending up one yeah um and a big part of like, I mean, it, like five or six thousand satellites sounds like a lot if you're like understanding them in the way that we all kind of think of satellites, which is like school bus size, like these massive, you know, building size things. They're not. Now they're like the size of a loaf of bread. Oh. There's one the size of like a postage stamp. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're tiny. They're like little CubeSats. They're all the rage. And so the, the, the functionality of these things ranges from like the utterly banal, like... Yeah. 
help a farmer check their water tank or whatever to like you know disrupting global communications and like spying on you know five eyes intelligence partnership like well, they, were, they were saying that like every country could essentially if they wanted to turn off whole countries right by, this is ter- the thing. by shutting down this their satellites the but no one's going to do it because this is the new cold war which is mutually assured destruction mad the nuclear deterrent um so the reason that you know uh, i mean there are a couple of close calls but the reason that no one ever like we didn't blow each other to smithereens during the cold war is because it would have it would have ended you know life as we know it on the planet because someone else would hit the button so we're kind of there with satellites now and it's only we're only getting more and more invested in that part of space so we've got all so because that's what amazon um and uh and apple and google are doing up there it's about like creating super fast internet so you know the testing speeds they've done it's like 100 megabits per second or or, or whatever and it's like you know two two and a bit times you know the fastest nbn speeds and you can get that anywhere in the world so you can get that like in Ta- antarctica so in- increasingly countries are relying on that as for their major communications infrastructure you've also got like these incredible incredible capacities to see like nowhere on the earth is secret anymore like right. you can pay a thousand bucks to a private company that has like good coverage over the globe with with uh, imaging satellites, and you can look at Area Fifty One. Right. Yeah, that's something you can do for like a thousand bucks. If you've got the right credit card, you can get your own satellite. You can get a, you can pay for a CubeSat. I do have a credit card. Yeah, and I know what you know what you're saying for. Know what you're getting for your next birthday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I, I, mine will be banal. Mine will be you'll come over and be like, "What have that? What have you been doing?" And I say, "Just between you and me, I know what the next script is for the next Nolan movie." Yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking even more banal than that. I'm like, I'm going to put a satellite up that allows me to like boil my jug, boil the like kettle from my bedroom. Oh, yeah. I, I just want to be able to like sat boil my. Two. Maybe they, maybe Bluetooth can do that. Who knows? So, so but the thing. So this is the thing that. That makes me so. I love George Clooney and have been a Clooney fan for a long time. And I went to a thing that he did when he came out here, where he was raising money because he, at the time, was funding a satellite that was over uh, General's uh, compound in Africa. Yeah. So every time he, the general, did things that he wasn't meant to be doing, and he'd deny it. Clooney and his conglomerate could go, yeah, well, here's the footage of him actually doing it. So we've got to... Totally. And at the time, because in my uh, viewpoint, that was for something good and that was doing the right thing because it was stopping the genocide of the people around that area. I was like, yeah, that's great. And then I hear that that's happening all over the world and there's no place that you can have privacy. And I was just like, oh, that is awful. But I paid a thousand bucks to go to that thing. I yeah. helped fund that satellite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's no such thing as bad tech, right? It's just like bad, bad uses bad of uses. it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so we have, but we do have this kind of vulnerability, like it's, uh, you know, we, which is somewhat mitigated by the, you know, deterrent principle of mutually assured destruction. Right. Um, but you could, the, the scenario that this guy that we had on the podcast painted for us was that you could essentially switch off a country overnight. It could happen to Australia literally overnight if, like, some country decided they wanted to take out our satellites. So it's like financial transactions go down. So all of a sudden you can't buy anything. Everyone's like, you can't access your money. Um, Your phone access is down potentially. So you can't communicate. You can't call emergency services. They can't respond. You're panicking. You can't even Google to work out what's going on. Yeah. Um, Like, you can see how society would... Uh, kind of crumple into you know this sort of frenzied panic. Um, 
very, very, very. We saw what happened when everything got shut down and, and the toilet paper was gone within yeah. seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not getting any tinned food for a while yeah. after, like, the satellites go down. Um, but then, you know, there would be a retaliation strike and so on. Um, and so there's, like, three scenarios that he laid out because the, the dream for space was that it would be this – Antarctica Olympic style global collaboration where we all Do you mean utopian? Yeah. 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 We all get together and mm. are like, look, see, we can get mm. along. This is nice. Yes. Um That's and that what was... space always was about, because space was about the future and the future <laughs> was optimistic. Yes. Right. Until it wasn't. Until, until the, we got un- there. until the end of history. And then we in, went in two thousand one. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, I, I think Sorry, I that's interrupted. The, that no no not at all. Um that's the that's the nice scenario. And then there's the terrible scenario, which is like well we, we you know, there's a wildly asymmetrical distribution of power mm-hmm. be it between certain nation states or certain you know massive companies that just can't be rivaled in space and also are not necessarily signatories to the same treaties space is governed by treaties that were set up 50 60 years ago mm. you know totally redundant now in the mm. face of the technology that you know that we that we now have where satellites can listen in on each other and interfere with each other um, you know so so there's there's that kind of doomsday scenario that we set out in the podcast but then there's this middle road that we're currently kind of cruising down which Mm -hmm. is where we're up there and everyone's kind of like sort of playing by the rules but pushing at the edges and developing technology faster than the law could possibly keep up with and respecting the rule of law to about the same degree that the rule of law is respected here on earth right so you know everyone doing slightly dodgy stuff slightly dark stuff up in space um and no real uh, cop on the beat. Right, um, yeah, because who's, who's going to come yeah. in and say, hey? The only prospect for a cop on the beat is like an asymmetrical distribution of power, which would ultimately lead us to that first terrible scenario, which I painted, which is like, you know, someone someone holding all the guns and, yeah. you know, yeah. It's so fascinating and terrifying and it's it's so... Like to hear that uh, podcast and hear this information at this particular point, just as we are landing stuff on Mars, like willy nilly. Like once upon a time, it was yeah. like, oh yeah, I hope we can get some to Mars. Yeah, and now maybe we are, one day, yeah, we're just dropping shit left, right, and centre. Yeah. And that is, you know, like I'm into that. Like I'm into exploration, into exploration, but it is also uh, littering. You know, we're just <laughs> fucking dropping shit left, right, and centre. You really worried about litter on Mars? It's it's just something about it where I hadn't really Is this thought about, about like it. how you ke- like you need your keys in one place. You just like you don't like the thought of like something out of place no, on Mars. No, it's just listening to your podcast and thinking about all of that stuff up there and it's like do we have some sort of responsibility to the universe to not just be dropping our shit all over the place? Insofar as we don't know about other uh, forms of life, no. Absolutely not. Space is a fucking vacuum, right? But, right. like, I mean, you know, probably not. I mean, I personally have all my theories because I've, I've – I've, oh, did I get away with an episode in this or did I just think about it and not get away with an episode? It's been, like, <laughs> three and a half years, so I, like, lose track of what I've just had a lot of thoughts about and what I've actually done an episode on. But I have kind of looked into the whole – I think – no, we did do an episode. I'll have to dig it up. Um, it, it was an episode about, like – is like the the multitude of theories and all the key theories I should say because there's like a handful of the most plausible theories as to why we haven't found aliens because mm-hmm. it's you know we sort of uh, culturally classify aliens in the same uh, way that we classify you know 
magical thinking. So mm. like ghosts, you know, tarot, whatever, curses, magic, you know, vampires, like it doesn't, you know, elves, it's not real, aliens. Mm. Aliens is like, of all those things we've talked about, so... So, so, so much more plausible. Mm. It's just that we've kind of come up with, like, shitty renderings of aliens in our, like, shitty human imaginations mm. um, that have made it seem in the realm of, like, ghosts and vampires and right. curses. Whereas really, um, you know, it, it, the real mystery is why there is no – why we haven't heard a peep yeah. from anyone. Well, it's that uh, – what is it? Is it the Fermi paradox, which is that the uh, – as a – civilization advances and it keeps advancing and it keeps advancing yes. and then eventually it destroys itself. Yes, that's what and I was going to say. And the universe yeah. is billions of years old with a lot of space in between where you could have life. So life is just popping up here and disappearing and then popping yeah, up yeah, over yeah. here then disappearing. Yeah, like little matches in a, in a barren field. Yeah. You know? Like it's just, you know, just like burns for a microsecond and then it's out. Um, and yeah, I think that's the most compelling theory of all. Yeah. Um, and also makes me feel really not that guilty about littering Mars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, look, I, I, I'm not saying that I feel guilty about it, but it was just the first time that I thought about it. Other than I can't believe your takeaway from that episode was like, oh, space junk seems like not a very nice thing to do. <laughs> well, there's, there's just... I was I'm way over- more worried about having, like, you know, emergency services switched off by a foreign power. Hey, I, all of these thoughts were going on at the same time. Yeah, and it was, yeah we can walk and chew gum, yeah. But I was overwhelmed by the amount that was up there. Yes, that's what, there is a lot up there. That's what took me by surprise. I totally underestimated how much was up there. It now makes me... You know, I've been reading for years because I, I subscribe to New Scientist because I'm really hot and sexy. Mm-hmm. And the thing about New Scientist, they've been going on about uh, solar flares and the damage that they could potentially do. And when you realise how reliant we are, like, you know we're reliant, but when you realise how reliant and you think, well, I guess one good solar flare could really really mess us up oh yeah the solar fl- thinking about solar flares is always a good way to put everything in perspective um i mean not to get too bell ben elwood um you know on on the podcast but like not without it, ben not without ben here it feels wrong but um <laughs> but yeah you know if you ever want perspective you know think yeah. about a solar flare and it's like maybe don't worry too much about 2024 right you know? like right yeah you want to write a book but you know maybe just look at the sunset yeah. Um, while you were talking, I was trying to because there, I happen to know about in the in the course of doing this interview, this guy was talking to me about. Uh, I mean, it didn't make the cut, but uh, t- was talking to me about like there are these incredible um, uh, websites where you can monitor in real time the space junk and sort of like see what's up there and how oh. much is up there because like satellites are the least of it, right? Right. There's uh, there's like quite a bit else up there. Yeah. What? Don't ask me. Definitely that car that Elon put up there, but yeah. Look, I was into the car. He's playing <laughs> Boeing. I was totally into it. The uh, sucker. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing is, is that we're also recording this on the day that it was in the uh, press this morning. Was the uh, the ex defence guys who were on sixty minutes in America talking about. UFOs. What? I missed this. Tell oh, me. Yeah. So they they were just ostensibly saying we've we've just seen shit constantly that doesn't make sense. That is what? and it's what? so funny. It just feels a little bit like 
because there's going to be something kind of revealed in the next month. There's something being declassified. Really? And there's just been these little dribs and drabs of these things that are finally coming out. And because you don't want to buy into it, because how many times... You know, when you were younger, oh my God, look, there's a face on Mars. And then, oh no, that's just the way shadows go. And that's, we look for yeah, yeah. shapes and forms in the things that we look at. But it's funny, it was on, on social media today, people who have for years gone, tell us the truth, there's aliens. And then they say, uh, we, well, we, there's definitely UFOs. They've gone, oh, what are you covering up? What are you trying to take our attention away from? So it's almost like the believers suddenly were like, Ah, you're doing this now because you're covering something else up. <laughs> and it's like... Yeah, once you give into a suspicious uh, disposition, it's pretty hard to to get around it. And that happened last year because mm. too many people were at home with not enough to do and access to the internet and spiral, spiral, spiral. Totally. yeah. And the world is run by lizards. I really, I really um, am fascinated by conspiracy collapse. Yeah. Um, how uh, and I think like there could be no clearer demonstration that you know more often than not uh, theories that are you know outside the mainstream are rarely assessed on their merits meritorious though they may be mm. um, because they are primarily championed by people of a like highly uh, paranoid disposition mm. um, which is unfortunate because then occasionally they'll be like you know UFOs probably you know like I don't know, alien life, that's more plausible than a lot of the stuff that, you know, gets put into the conspiracy theory category. Mm. But it's like, it gets like tarred with the like tinfoil, like anti-vax, whatever brush, like, you know. uh, Yeah, there's nuance within all of this that we often forget because it's just easier to put things in one box. Yeah, we go like, that's the crazy box. Yeah. You know. What would you like to have, uh, what would you like to have proven? Like, is there something that, like, I'm totally into the idea of UFOs. Like, I'm totally into it. Even mm. though there is a sense of, I remember a, a philosopher sort of saying, oh, do we really want to meet something out there that has better technology than us? And then you go, oh, yeah. Nah, like, if we went places, we'd be awful. <laughs> you know what? I reckon, I reckon it would be like, if we set aside for a moment the existential threat of mm. meeting with a... Uh, technologically superior species who may view us as some variety of pond scum um, and want to, you know, plunder our planet for resources and Mm. use us for rocket fuel. Um, Leaving aside that prospect for a moment, Mm. I think it would actually be a wonderful thing for everyone ethically, like a really good eye-opener. It would be like, you know, everyone had like a bit of a moment for pause during lockdown. Everyone kind of, you know, built some empathy through suffering. Everyone kind of went, oh, gee, maybe there's some shit wrong with me as well as everyone else in the world, and we reassessed everything. Yeah. Imagine that effect... But if you understood the pers- like the perspective of like oh we're like we have this thing in common we're this species um, life is very precarious not just you know in the face of disease but um, you know look up at the enormity of the universe and mm. the the contrast of being of measuring yourself against an entirely alien species literally mm. would um, would you know that's that's fermented itself on an, an, on a distant in a distant solar system that would really do a a very good job of ending some wars, maybe not all of them. I'm sure, like, Twitter would settle down a bit. You know what I mean? Like, I just think we'd kind of, it would bring us together a bit. Yeah. Or well, we'd all freak out and tear each other to shreds. Well, you know. know, we've seen the deep fakes with Tom Cruise and all of that kind of stuff. Don't you think there'd be a, a, a 
pretty a deep fakes because the last time I checked in with deep fakes, they were not uh, really convincing enough to. Uh, to, to like it wasn't really saleable uh, as reality. But well, are you telling me that in the time since I looked at deep fakes, they've become saleable as reality? There was a Tom Cruise one where, when you first looked at it, you were like, "Oh Jesus!" Like I know that's a deep fake because you're telling me it's a deep fake, but that looks like Tom Cruise. And then you looked a little bit closer, and it was like, "Oh, that's that's not quite right." But I had to look closer. Yeah. So there what would did be. What did they make him say? Oh, I can't remember. It wasn't that interesting. It yeah, was yeah. all the you know. Yeah, you, you know, all the Tom Cruise stuff. It was just a, like, stuff. point, sure. Yeah. But the, uh, and it was the typical Tom Cruise impersonation, you know, where he's full of the Xeno juice and fucking going for gold. Right. But the, you know, it's it's interesting. There'd be a subset of people and it would be a vocal uh, percentage of that who would just go, nah, that's Hollywood technology. Look, look what they're trying to prove. They're trying to discount God. You know, there would be... There would be some people who would push back. Do you join those Facebook groups, which are like, because I just love to like perv on people who think that way, like intellectually perv on their kind of thought processes. Like, I mean, a lot of like psychics, like readings, like psychic readings groups and like UFO believers groups and things like that. Not in a long time. I haven't joined any f- uh, Facebook groups like that. But I, now and again, you like to go and have a little read and, and see what the discourse is. Yeah. But not not in a while. Yeah. I mean, because some of those groups, like because of conspiracy collapse, there is like they've kind of joined forces. Right. And so I think, you know, like Q&A, like, uh, what am I doing? Not Q&A. That's a... a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What am I trying to say? QAnon. QAnon. Yeah. My goodness, if I must be tired. Um, QAnon, uh, you know, conspiracy collapse. Like if aliens arrived... QAnon would completely dissolve. Right. Because they'd be like, to some people, it would appeal to their version of, um, you know, because uh, they're all suspicious of authority in one way or another, and that's what unites them. Yeah. It would appeal to that sensibility, and to others, it would seem like yet another deception. Um, and so I would be really interested to watch. Uh, to to watch those groups kind of splinter and people just like to see how the, that category of person, yeah. um, you know, dealt with the shock of the reality that yeah. alien life existed. Yeah, it's I, I've always you know because we through literature and movies and and entertainment it's always you know invariably when you meet something. It, that's alien. It is a reflection of of us in some form, and that's why. Have you ever seen the movie Arrival with Amy Adams? Yes. Yeah, and I always loved that because it was about language as well, and yeah, because she's yeah. trying she to deciphers the yeah, yeah, and in doing so, she rewires her her brain. Like by learning that language, she rewires her brain and perceives time in such a way that she can see. The tragedy ahead, yeah, but still know that it's worthwhile taking that journey to get to it. Like it's very romantic in, oh, in a way. I've got to rewatch that. You're right. That is what happened. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think inevitably, you know, if we meet an alien, we're only gonna we're only gonna be able to relate to ourselves because we're fundamentally solipsistic creatures. But that's why it is good to learn another language. Full stop. Like that's mm. the other thing that I did with lockdown is I learned French. Oh right. Um, yeah, and I'm like, wait, there are more tenses than we have in English. Like they have like I don't know, they have like nine. 
tensors or something like right. they're more 11 t- i can't remember but they've got like more tensors than us they've just got like a more detailed conception and like uh um, unitary conception of time right um, and ways of expressing that in language um and their syntax is all jumbled like they you know they're, they're like expressing all the same concepts and right. you know but it's just all like you know it's just in a fucked up order but it forces you to confront the constructed nature of what it is that like how we make meaning. Mm. Anyway, what I'm saying is the French are a lot like the aliens in that Amy. <laughs> they've rewritten your brain. Yeah, they've kind of rewritten my brain. But, but it did rewrite my brain. Yeah. It was like yeah. it was a really uh, interesting exercise. It was probably the most I'd used my – it was the most like intellectual – Oh, no, no, not – it was the most disciplined sort of approach I'd taken to learning since university. <sighs> you know, I am bummed out that I didn't learn a language – that was kind of something. Hey, man, there's still time. No, no, no. But during that period, that would have been fun. I, I, yeah, it's always been. Did you walk in with big goals that you just didn't do? Or, or did, were you realistic about it? No. Well, for the first couple of weeks, I suppressed the urge to do anything because there was, because it was the start of the festival season. So I just performed a, a one-person play and a stand-up show at the Adelaide Fringe. Yeah, yeah. And we had just a re- met at Adelaide. Yeah. And Adelaide, yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's where we met. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then I came back and I, I felt very – I felt a desire to create immediately. Mm. And I thought I have to kind of suppress that because I think I could throw myself into something and not be processing what's going on. So for the first couple of weeks, all I did was – you know, weirdly, I went – the first three movies that I watched, which I'm not necessarily a big fan of, were – the first original Star Wars movies. And it's so funny. It's like everything's falling apart. Everything is really tense. I have no idea when this is going to end. I'm worried about family back home. What am I going to do? I'm going to go back to my childhood. And I'm going to watch Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I started... Okay. Yeah, I developed these weird habits. Um, I started listening to only old music. And I think that was a comfort thing. Like I started listening to like... Like a lot of the Beatles and like Neil Diamond mm-hmm. and just like stuff that I would have listened to with my parents when I was growing up. Um, I started making these enormous breakfasts for myself that were like would involve like some sort of like uh, like pickled fish um, and like kraut and eggs and like lots of fried vegetables. Started going on these like unholy long runs, writing poetry and posting it to Instagram. Right. Um, so I started like writing poetry. And learning French. And then I was still making the podcast. And I was like, that was like, I, I had to be busy. I had to be yes. like, I had to fill every single moment, every spare moment. Yes. Well, when we were, when, you know, what was it? 10 weeks, 11 weeks, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things for what people are still enduring overseas yeah, I know, was not a lot. Yeah, we're talking about this like we suffered, but like, yeah, obviously. Uh, we didn't know, suffer yeah. at all. But it was, you know, it was, it, it was a little challenge. Uh, but... Once the lockdown started to, you know, lift and you could hang out with people, I was a bit like, I just don't have time. Well, yeah. I'm really busy. Yeah, yeah. I get up, go for a run, listen to a podcast, do yoga with Adrienne, <laughs> you know, do some work, cook a meal, listen to an album by Roxy Music. <laughs> Which one? I, I, I listen to all of uh, Brian Ferry and Roxy Music's uh, discography in yeah, sequ- sequential order. Oh, that that's committed. I really enjoy that. Yeah, the, so that's the kind of goals I was setting myself. And, you know, then I would go to bed and then I would panic from about 11.30 till 
about the future and then I'd wake up and do it all again. It was a full day. I did not have place or time or even the inclination to want to hang out with people because this is my world now. And then I hung out with someone for the first time and had a really good time. I went, oh, no, hanging out with people is really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it, was, it was a bit hysterical. It was a bit like not hysterical as in at first it was a bit subdued. Hey, how you doing? Good. Oh, God, nice to see you. Blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly, you know, two blinks and it's three in the morning. You've gone through seven bottles of red. You go, yeah. woo. Yeah. How good is it to have company? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I like have some of the best memories with friends from during yeah. that time. Yeah. Because it was so rare and it was like, you know, like like this transgressive thrill yeah. of hanging out yeah. as well. And so you'd get together, uh, you know, like I, I remember, you know, I went round to, I think it was like right before lockdown lifted. And so we weren't meant to do it like it was, we, but I went, I went round for dinner with like two friends and I was going for walks with both of them anyway. And we went, yeah. ah, look, to hell with it. It was like it was Georgie's birthday, it was my best friend's birthday, and we went round there, and it was just the three of us, and we stayed up all night and and laughed like we have never laughed before, right? And it was just the best thing in the whole world. Yeah, nice, right? I had more to write poetry about then. I was like, I was touching the like the bottom shelf and the top shelf of the emotional experience, right? Um, whereas things have sort of leveled out a little bit since then, and I've probably I've sort of I haven't been writing as much poetry. But what kind of what kind of poetry do you write? I'm, uh, it's, uh, I kind of love poetry, but uh, I, I'm, I don't quite understand it enough to write it, I don't well, think. Well, I stopped, like, I stopped worrying too much about the form because, the, like, it's quite fashionable. Like, the sort of publishable, like, literary poetry in Australia at the moment, if you're a young poet, is, like, not really what I'm writing, which is, like, quite short form. Like, I would pu- publish them on my Instagram stories. Right. I'll see if there's one that's, like, not too bad that I can find because I saved the best ones. Well, while, you, while you're looking that up, is there, uh, an, is there a, a form that you would like to delve into more is it is it writing poetry is it writing Man, short stories i want to do everything i'm like yeah. i'm so full of beans at the moment i just want to do everything <laughs> like i'm like more so than i ever was before like yeah. i want to make like i've got these like ideas for tv series that i want to pitch up at yeah. the abc and podcast series i want to make i was talking to you one before about you know i don't even want to say in case someone nicks my idea but like you know all sorts of stuff i'm obsessed with the motherhood question at the moment like i'm right. obsessed with um like other people's kinks at the moment yeah um you know like i love poetry i want to write a novel i want to write it like series of essays like i'm always kind of making stuff but yeah. like i can be a little uh you know i'm not i'm not terribly good at having the confidence to like finish it and then like pitch it up but That's, like i'm 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 busting with ideas like it's so you know one of the things that uh, i've done recently so on my website I, I would write short stories just as little exercises in writing in different ways and i'm glad that i did that over the years but what i realized was i was writing short stories the way i would write stand up which is get the idea down and then, you know, with stand-up, you then get on stage and you, you flesh it out. But I have been trying to rewire how I write. Mm. And I have been working on a short story for, like, seven months. Wow. And it has been really hard to – and it's to do exactly what you just said, which is to maintain a level of interest and confidence in a piece of work and not give up on it 
and just either think, oh, I'm putting that away or I'll just put that up now and that's sorted. And so I've been, and I literally just got back to it this week and I improved it so much. Yeah. And, but just trying to, and now that of is, course this is too yeah. much. Like I've slowed it down too much, yeah. but I feel like I've got to slow it down too much to try and get it to a, you know, manageable speed. I think there's like a there's a winnowing process. Like I think there are so many people who are talented writers, mm. and there's a but there's a winnowing process that separates the su- successful from the unsuccessful, and it's the and it's tenacity, and it's like whether or not you can live with an idea in your head for long enough mm. and not come to loathe the idea in the way that you may loathe yourself or mm. like the worst parts of you on your worst days. Um, that it that it infects the idea and taints yeah. it, and it's like and that's a real skill, and to sort of be able be able to stick with it and push it through to completion and it's like this like birthing mo- like it's not it's awful like it's, yeah. it's absolutely awful like I um I, I still don't know like a single successful writer who is like yeah just like just plopped out of me like you know yeah. that like that um you know Monty Python sketch where like the baby just falls out of the woman like it's just it's just never like that like yeah. it's just and anyone who says it is is lying yeah um except maybe George Saunders I think he finds it easy but like <laughs> yeah uh I don't know I have, but I you speak- know most most writers hate the process but they love having ma- having written yeah you yeah. Know. yeah 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 and yeah. that's and that's why I write these super short poems I just felt like I found some from Ed while I've been talking I found some from Edinburgh from a from the last Edinburgh that I went to um there's one here. It's just called poem number 12. It's very short. It says, and it's filmed. I was like watching some kids muck about with a mirror at one of the artist bars. Like they'd obviously just like come with their parent and they were like putting their faces right close up to the mirror and mucking around. And it's poem number 12. Always lick the mirror. It's important to keep the fucker off balance. Climb out and out and out and say, fuck you, you glassy fuck. I can leave this hallway anytime I choose. <laughs> so to answer your question, that is the kind of poetry that I write. I don't yeah. know what it is. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there's one here called that I filmed in like some weird bar. Uh, so they all go with like little videos are on Instagram stories if anyone wants to see them. Um, uh, it's number 17. It's called Soak, S-O-A-K, with like, you know, it's like an acronym. Um, there's a bar near here where we can put our elbows, blunt, soft splinters abound, stare back at people with our whole faces, even the ones with long lashes. All the wood in this bar is wet, not literally, but in a lasting spiritual way. So old and keen. Right. That's so- nice. Well, you know what I like about it is each thing is, it's uh, it's like a pure form of creativity, isn't it? It's just, here it is, it's concise, it gets to the point, It each one both of them are really quite different you know and they're very distinct emotions uh expressed succinctly and that's the point i think is to cap like name something or capture something that is a common experience but that people recognize and find familiar but have been hitherto unable to name for whatever reason so you want to kind of like capture something in the human experience that is like beautiful but difficult to capture mm. and reflect that back to people in the in a way that it reminds them of it that's pleasurable for them yeah or confronting or confronting yeah. yeah uh it's i'm i'm fascinated with ambiguity as something to express and it's a very uh, it's one of the things that made me kind of lose interest a little bit in stand-up i, I enjoy performing stand-up uh and i 
Not a lot of room for ambiguity there, though. No, you you know why the chicken crossed the road? You, you work it out. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'll get a laugh from me. <laughs> Go no, home, you, think about it. Come back to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> write to me. How do you think that joke worked? I don't know. I've, I've, I've turned into your Transylvanian friend. Um, but the uh, but it's such an interesting thing to play around with and express and. All the things that I really love are ambiguous. Like, mm. you know, it's those things where you walk out and you're like, I don't know how I feel about that. And, you know, that's kind of... So I I like any kind of creativity and I like anything that people express where it is coming from a certain specific place. And it's and it makes you kind of think about the things that you do and, and, it's, and it's just fun to try and engage with that stuff. I am bored to tears like to the, to the point of anger by uh, having anything expressed to me and this is I think this is also like a legacy of spending too long in journalism where the obvious is very often stated as if it is surprising mm. um, but I am bored to tears and made furious by anything that lacks tension or some sort of like quandary like there has to be a question a quandary um, some element of discovery or tension in there mm. um, like otherwise why are we bothering right. we're just like we're just like sitting in an echo chamber and being like told what we already think or know yeah. um, and and so yeah I'm interested I guess that's my way of understanding ambiguity is like yeah. I, I'm really only keen if you're gonna if you're gonna present to me like some sort of quandary some mm. sort of like okay what what do we actually do here this is genuinely hard to figure out what the right way forward is. There are there are authentic interests on both sides or all five sides of this argument, um, and and you know it's confusing. Mm. Otherwise, why are we talking about it? If it's obvious, if we can pick a path through, then it's just masturbatory. Right. Like we need we need to have a question here that is genuinely difficult to answer. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Waste of time. Waste of time. Bloody waste of time. That's uh, some of my favourite movies are the ones where you walk out going, I don't know what quite how I feel about that, and then you, like <laughs> oh, three Donnie da- Darko, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, well, <laughs> the, 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 the the really fascinating one for me was uh, the last Tarantino film. I haven't seen it. Tell me. Oh, uh, so it, uh, I can talk about this in broad strokes and not give anything away. Yeah. I enjoyed it while I was watching it, and then it finished, and I didn't know how I felt about it. My mum was a Sharon Tate fan. So when I was like, I've known that story for 40 years, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just didn't know how I felt about it. Mm. And it was weird to be as as to the uh, themes that the film presented or the the integrity of the film itself. Yeah, a little bit with I'm speaking mildly ambiguously, not to give anything away for you. But I was just I was just a bit confused. And uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's a funny thing to be enjoying something and have it end and then walk out and go, I don't know how I feel about it, even though I was quite clearly enjoying it. Anyway, this does not give anything away. But in the movie, Margot Robbie, who is playing Sharon Tate, goes to the cinema to see the movie that she's in. And she goes into the cinema and she watches her movie. But when she's watching the movie, it's the original movie with... Sharon Tate in it, the the real right. Sharon Tate. Okay. So it's Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate watching the real Sharon Tate, and it's kind I'm of sorry, such, I was doing a mind blo- my, yeah, yeah. And it's such a <laughs> for me. I don't know. This is what I interpreted out of that. It was the first time in forty plus years I thought of Sharon Tate as an actress and not a murder victim, and mm. I from that moment. Loved the film, but it took me three or four days to get there. Right, that's a very clever choice. 
There, yeah, and it was, you know, it in, was in like, it, yeah, it's a d- directorial choice. Yeah, I think it like, might be, yeah. I, like this. This might be a like it's too clever, too clever by half, but well, also, you know, also, well, yeah, it had that effect. So therefore, you know, therefore, it I think it might actually be the best choice Tarantino's made in any of his movies. <laughs> like literally, any choice he's made in any film for me, that's the best choice. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. And there's a scene where Brad Pitt takes off his shirt and it is so fucking impressive that <laughs> even I nearly started clapping and my friend who was sitting next to me who had some popcorn between her legs, when he took off his shirt, I for a moment in my head went, oh my. And I heard her <laughs> legs squeeze and the popcorn go like. <laughs> you said, oh my, like a. Like a in my head, I was like. like a, oh, like a Jane Austen character. Like it was just, it was yeah. like, oh. Someone someone opened a door. It's getting hot in here. Like, what the fuck is going on? Because his body looks exactly like the... It looks correct. It looks like the body of a man like his a age. Body. But it looks like he's been moving furniture yeah, every right. weekend for the past 25 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. It, right, doesn't, right. it doesn't look... It doesn't look like, oh, he's full of the fucking roids and everything. Yeah, it doesn't look like yeah. they pasted the chest on no, and blended it with makeup. And yeah. He's just lifted a lot of marble and moved it around for his mates on the weekend. And that's how he looks. Yeah, right. Anyway. is it Should I watch it or not? Oh, like, I personally think it's great. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I think it's... I haven't enjoyed some of Tarantino's movies for a while. I know this is, like, a heavy thing to admit um, on your podcast because... Um, you know, knowing a little bit about your audience, they um, like adore film, and I like I like you know, appre- like appreciate a lot of art forms and like take in a lot mm. of the arts. I never make time for film, so oh, I reckon okay. I'll probably watch about uh, like six films a year. Right. Everyone who listens to this uh, podcast has myriad. Interests. It's not just films. It's yeah, books, right. It's TV. It's it music. Sort of, you know, it's all sorts you, you of stuff. You guys chat about films so much. It's like, yeah. yeah, that's kind of you know. Uh, ben and I, we, you know, we have been watching all of Sophia Coppola's movies. Yeah, yeah, and Great they choice. have yeah. been. I just that's that's been my Tarantino decision. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for the year, whereas like I am wrapped because the movies that I've seen of hers I already loved and I've been really enjoying re-watching and the movies that I have not seen have been so deceptively funny and interesting and brilliant to me. It has been a real great journey and I'm really bummed out that we only have two to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I should probably just come to you and be like, because I've got friends who I, I go to because I, you know, time poor because I overfill my life. Like, I'm like, Okay, what, what what books do I absolutely need to read? And like I'm a chronic book over buyer, like I'll buy uh, all these books that I like desire to read oh and my my, and I'm like tower like there's these towers of books beside my bed and yeah. like yeah, like they'll fall one day and kill me and yeah. that's how I'll die. Um which is fine. Um yeah. you know, there what are books will be there are on, ways. What book will be the one that's resting precariously? The Cape- Origins of Totalitarianism by Hannah Arendt. <laughs> <laughs> Dante's Inferno is the next one down. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm like, buy all these books that I'm like, 
I've started oh. buying some lighter ones for the yeah. top. So it's yeah. like, you know, so that maybe if there's like a little earthquake, maybe yeah. I won't die. Like there's like a short collection of Australian poetry that I've kind of got at the top at the moment. Dostoevsky's the idiot. Doink. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, oh shit. Oh, yeah. This, this is way too tall. This is fucking dangerous. <laughs> punishment for me for being overambitious. But yeah, but I, I do sort of check in with this this friend of mine who's like, a, a, you know, helps run writers festivals. Mm. Um, her name's Tam Zimmett. She's over in um, Edinburgh at the moment. And I'm like, Tam, what do I need to read? You know, so maybe you'll be the person now that I'm like, Am I? what do I need to watch? Yeah, well, I, I would never say there's anything that you need to watch. But if you tell me what your, what your mood is. I Today feel my like- mood is Roma. Oh, the movie Roma. Yeah, I watched Roma and I had like a pang to yeah. see Roma again. Yeah. I was like, yeah. What did you think? Uh, I was, I was, I was uh, like like blown away by the like speechless listen to me now like I was like blown yeah. away by the beauty of it and the and the way of seeing the world and just like a, a like a totally yeah like it just the way that you never conceive of the world and the ability of a film to um position you it through someone else's eyes um, so, uh, and, and to prioritize beauty above uh, all else without sacrificing um, anything else. It was like it was like poetry. It was yes. like if poetry was a film, yes. it would be Roma. Right. Um, and that's what I really liked about it. It was it was that it um, it was that it it zoomed in on um, on like nuance and the, the smallest things in the world, but like these yeah like sensory things. It was like yeah. a very sensory film. Yeah. The uh, I loved it so much, and I got to the very end, and I had this pang of disappointment, which was. N- nothing to do with the movie it was that i watched it for the first time on my lounge because it was Mm. released it was one of the first kind of movies that was released you know on netflix and you know with limited runs at the cinema and i was disappointed in myself that i had not sorted out and so i've made a decision if there's a movie that i look like like I'll roll the dice on some movies at home, but yeah. if there's something that I feel strongly about, like that's why I went and saw The Irishman at the cinema, yeah, and it was like choice, a three-hour yeah. movie, and it was the perfect decision was to be plonked in that world with no distractions, looking at it on the big screen. And now I could watch it on TV, yeah, but I want I want to be in the dark. I want to be with people. I want to feel it in my chest. I want to feel it in, in my bones when I'm watching a film that I love. The thing that I wish I could see at the cinema that I watched once when I was really young, but like I want to go back and revisit now with everything that I know is um is uh, Holy Mountain. Oh right, yeah, I don't know Holy Mountain. Uh it's like it's it's like uh, esoteric sort of um, cult cinema, like deeply experimental. I'm just like trying to look up something now so I don't like horrifically uh, misrepresent <laughs> it. Um, so it's a. Uh it's one of those movies that what you need to do is you need to have a subscription to Palace in case they, you know, they do their their little movie runs, cult movie Yeah, nights. pretty much. Yeah. Oh, it's not... My Google's not working because I'm not signed up to your internet. Oh. It doesn't matter. Anyway, doesn't matter. it's like, it's a lot of, uh, like, it's, es- it's like esoteric, yeah. um, uh, avant-garde, uh, beautiful nonsense, but like at a time when that was genuinely experimental, right? Um, and like a lot of kind of references to like symbolism and the occult, and um, you know, like Im- like imagery, and it's it's uh, you know, and quite controversial at the time. I don't kind of, I don't want to be misquoted here, but like I think it might have been banned in some places. Right. Like it was quite. Um, yeah, of course, this site can't be reached. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, look, um, that's that's the kind of thing. I watched Mandy recently as well. That like weird Nicolas Cage film oh, about yeah. um, like the Satanists in the forest. Yeah, I guess I've just gone weird. I think I've like given up on catching up on the canon, right? And just gone like. I just want to look at the fringes now. Like yeah. if, I've, if I've only got if I've, I've got six to eight films a year in me, right? I want to make it. I want to. I want to see some stuff that's really going to blow my, blow my socks. Like blow my mind. Like I want to see. I want to see something that's going to break my brain. Yeah, that's a, that's a smart move for me. Like I, I think if if that's all you're going to see, yeah. Well, you know, take the big swings. Take the big swings. Yeah. Hey. Uh, I should let you go because you've got to work tomorrow and it's uh, starting <laughs> to get a little bit uh, later. Um, what do you have coming up? Oh, yeah. So this Melbourne run that uh, I've organised, which I'm really, really excited about because I looked up and I realised, you know, I haven't actually performed in Melbourne since 2019. Like it's been two years since I performed in Melbourne. Right. Um, and I really loved doing it. And it was my first show when I did it. I had a great time, great run, did a full month and had a ball. Um, and then I've written this whole new show and it's just kind of never been there. So yeah. I'm doing uh, two shows at the Butterfly Club on the 18th and 19th of June. Um, there's some early bird tickets on sale at the moment. So it's like a, yeah, a bit less than a month out, I guess, about a month. Ex- exactly. Um, and... Yeah, it's like it, it was this frustrating thing because like would have been touring. The, I would have ordinarily I would have done this show a hundred times by now. Yes, um, and so I'd be sick to death of it. But instead, I've just done it like twenty five times or something like that. And so it's just like in that sweet spot, and I'm really really enjoying doing it. And um, I'm, that's, I'm that's, really looking forward to doing it in Melbourne. That's so yeah. great. Like I, I literally have a play that I did six times, and then the pandemic hit. And I think I've moved on from it. Yeah. And you feel like you never really got to to do it properly, right? Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm now trying to work out how I can get a whole lot of my work and uh, repurpose it. But that's a story for another time. Yeah. You just don't want that stuff to, you know... Uh, what are you, you going to say to me on my way out the door to fuck me up this time, Hamo? Have you got it worked out yet? No, nah, I'm like I'm like I'm like a jazz musician. Like yeah. <laughs> I like you'll recognise some of the notes, but I'll be coming in a, from an angle that you won't expect, and uh, maybe <laughs> I'll wait for the doors to be closed. You've already you've already exposed that every time you kill a bee, it destroys a part of your libido. So I'm you know I'm going to have to come up with something new. Whisper a horror at the door at yeah. me before it slams shut, please. <laughs> Every time you go out, you're breathing plastics. I got that from you when you terrified <laughs> That's me with my that. Fault. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, where can people find you on the socials? Uh, on the socials, turns out I'm the only Ange Lovewipe. Yeah, um, as a comedian or in most places, I think there might be a couple in France, so I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, Ange Lovewipe. I do a, a daily podcast for the Signal. We do everything from satellites to Gaza. Um, so you know. Um, come check us out And what else? Yeah, I'm around Twitter And check Instagram. out that Oh, I've got my poetry on Instagram Yes tell, Please come tell me if it's any good I can't tell Do you have Do you have one more poem That you can oh, yeah. easily access? And Yeah, I do I always do um, There's one Oh, yeah Okay Number 22 Stella uh, and I was looking at a, this is a picture of a kind of conglomeration of uh, chandeliers That I found in, in Edinburgh um, Stella A chandelier repeats itself. It explodes outwards from a single point. It contains all the energy of a failed honeymoon. Look at me, but not with pity. 
I would give anything to inspire you again. That's great. <laughs> like a failed honeymoon. <laughs> Fuck, I love having you on the show. Good to see you, Ange. Thank you. you to Rachel and Ange for being my guests for this podcast. If you enjoyed their segments, let them know online. Uh, check them out at their socials. I really appreciate it when you let my guests know that you enjoy their work. It means a lot to me. So, uh, like, you don't have to do it, but if you have the opportunity, uh, I'd be wrapped. And I know they always feel great when they get a message uh, out of the blue from someone who's enjoying their work. Uh, remember, you can come and join our private Big Squid page on Facebook or you can just keep up with things via our regular page. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a top review at Apple Podcasts. Let's finish this one with a quote from Margaret Atwood. I would like to be the air that inhabits you for a moment. I would like to be that unnoticed and that necessary. Until then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.